Last week, we began a series called Living Sacrifices. It comes from focusing on just a few verses in chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Last week was that first week we looked at it, and we recognized that Paul was using a metaphor upon which all of culture in his time would clearly have an understanding. Much like we use metaphors in our day-to-day life, you know, we talked about some of the metaphors that we use often as metaphors of health, or we'll use metaphors of, of battle imageries. Um, there was a metaphor in Paul's time that was easy to draw from, and it was a metaphor of temple worship and sacrifices. It was something that whether you were a Jew or you were a Gentile, whether you were a Greek or Roman, you could draw upon that metaphor instantly and understand some of what Paul had to say. You could get the nuances and the emotional weight of what he was sharing. And last week, we focused on the fact that Paul was calling each of us to become a living sacrifice to God a living sacrifice. He was appealing from all the mercies and grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ that we now would become a sacrifice to God rather than the animal sacrifices that we instead would would sacrifice ourselves, but that we would be living as we do so, that we would dedicate each and every day of our lives 24-7, that we would give ourselves over to God. That was the imagery that he gave us in that first verse of chapter 12. Today, we're going to read verse 2, and really, we start to move into the how. How do we become a living sacrifice? What does that start to look like? How do we we get off on the first step, the first foot, into that imagery of living sacrifice? And so, we're going to read verse 2 of chapter 12. So let's pray that God would open this verse to us that we might understand God's word. Oh Lord, you know us full well. You know exactly what we need to hear this morning. You know how each of us has come from different circumstances and each of us is facing a different day. But you know exactly what your word is intended to do for each one of us today, as well as for us as a whole church. So we pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us, that each of us would have ears to hear and hearts to understand, and that we might take another step forward, O Lord, in serving and glorifying you, in becoming living sacrifices before you, O Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read verse 2, but I'm going to first start out by reading verse 1, and then it'll go into verse 2. Again, verse 1 said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we're going to leave that verse up there so you have a way of referencing back to it. But I want to share with you, this summer we had a chance to get away. And we did a series of day trips, and sometimes maybe it was a multi-day trip. And um, whenever we travel, I don't know if you're like this, but whenever we travel, uh, there are, there's always someone or more than someone in our family who tends to bring a lot with them. Do you have anybody like that? I mean, if they could take the kitchen sink out, they would, right? And there's that old rule, too, for every 15 minutes late that you leave, there's another 10 pounds of stuff in the car, right? So uh, one of our uh, children, uh, not to say names or anything, it wasn't Anna, um, um, has a tendency to bring a lot. And, um, you know, when, when, when the children were young, we'd have all those extra things, that, all that extra stuff, the stroller, everything you had to bring along. And I loved it that we got beyond that age when you had to bring all that stuff. But then we moved into the age of, or the era of Anna. And um, she would just bring a lot. Well, somehow that message got across. And uh, she decided, that's it. I'm no longer going to be that person. I'm going to put it all in one suitcase. And so she spent an enormous amount of time carefully folding, making things multiple use. And, and sure enough, she packed it all in one suitcase. And a small suitcase at that. She said, I got it all in here. And, and she kept telling us all about how it was all in there. And, and we thought, well, did you bring this? Oh, shoot, no. I, I, I. And, well, what's wrong? Well, it just took so much to close it. And, and, and you could tell that one item was going to make it just burst. Today, Paul is giving us a verse, and it's consistent with the verse that went before and what comes after. He has at the front end of this, he has packed so much in that there are just, there's at least four different parts, and he's packed it so tightly that those four parts are all interacting with one another. They all have multiple uses, and it's all at the front end of this passage of the 12th chapter. Verse 1 was this way, and verse 2 is this way. Much like, a, you know, I looked at an acorn the other day, and there's so much power in that little acorn to make it burst out and become so much more, become the big tree that it becomes, right? Paul has packed so much into this verse, four different parts, and they're all intertwining. Matter of fact, there's a part, there's at least two parts, maybe even three, in which... Um, uh, there's, there's like a multi-use. You know, some of us have camped before in a camper, and you've got the camper where it's both your table that you sit down to eat at, but it's also your bed for at night. You know what I'm saying? It's a multi-use thing. And there's some points here where he's coming at things from two different angles. Um, uh, much like uh, you and I, we could have a debate about where orange ends and red begins. 
or where green ends and blue begins. You know, we could debate, is this blue carpet or is there some green, you know, it's sometimes things are so close and yet we know they're different and yet they're so interactively close. That's what's going on in this verse. Paul has called upon us out of the very mercies of God, the grace of God. He's called upon us to dedicate ourselves, to give ourselves over. He's used the image of sacrifices, that we would literally sacrifice ourselves, no longer the animal, now us will sacrifice ourselves, but we'll be living, but we'll give ourselves fully and completely over to God. And this is how. The first of the four parts. He says, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed. First off, I want to say this world. Uh, The word there is eon or age so in, you know Paul's here's word more likely I've heard it is do not be trans- conformed by this age and what he's what he's getting at there is not so much as we think of the worldliness but the the whole way that our culture the way the age that we live in the way the world that we revolve in the way it interacts don't let that conform you don't let it, it's, 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 it's the word of conforming is don't let it press you into a form. You know, many of us can remember Silly Putty or Play-Doh and, and you, you spread it all out and you'd press a form and you'd make something. And Paul's giving an image here of, a, of allowing the, the world and the culture we are in shape us in a way that we're not even aware that we're being shaped. And that happens all the while. I think I shared with you, it's, uh, it's about one year now since I, since I started here. And I think I shared with you way back at the start that if I were to ask you what color is the number five, you'd look at me kind of odd, like, what do you mean what color is the number five? And yet, if I challenge you, you probably will give me a color. And the reason you'll probably give me a color is because on your refrigerator, there were probably numbers and letters as you were a little kid with magnets. Or maybe in your preschool or kindergarten or first grade, you had numbers up around the the wall and they were lettered, there were numbers there and there were different colors. And so that color was imprinted upon you as well as that number. Our life, the way we live it, the culture in which we live has a way of imprinting upon us in ways we're not even aware. And we might say, oh, I'm not being influenced by that. I'm not aware of that. But the moment we step into another culture, we're suddenly powerfully aware of how everybody else is swimming in water that we don't understand. They're breathing air that we're not sure about. They all know what to do, and they all know where to go. They all know how to interact. They know what interactions mean what. And we often feel kind of lost 
if we step into a different culture. It even happens in family systems. When you, when you join a new family system, when you marry into another family, you suddenly realize not every family lives the same way. This family operates this way. It's okay to take your drink out of the kitchen and go into the living room in this family. There are cultural differences that influence us. Do not be conformed to this world. I was sharing with someone the other day, um, I remember way back as a youth worker, there was this, this teenager who was amazing. He was uh, just so capable. And it was because his parents had decided to raise him and give him responsibility along the way. By age 13, 14, they gave him the responsibility on family vacations of calling ahead, and this is back before the internet, of calling ahead and making the hotel reservations and plotting out where they would go. So when this kid finally went to work and was working at the local yogurt house in Holland, what he called the Yoplait Chalet, when he got a call from the, the, the corporate saying, hey, what, we didn't get your order. What do you need for the next week? And the manager wasn't there. He didn't think about saying, oh, I'm sorry, my manager's not here. You'll have to call back. He looked around and he just started making an order because he looked at what they didn't have. And he later got in trouble with the manager. The manager was mad that he made an order. But the manager didn't understand that this kid grew up in a household in which he was allowed to make the plans and coordinate. He was allowed to take on responsibility. So he didn't know he shouldn't step into that responsibility. Culture has a way of shaping us. And Paul, think about what's happening here. Paul, this one who has been a Pharisee, who's now stepped into believing that the Messiah has come, is speaking to a church in Rome that he hasn't met, and he's speaking to the center of a world that is shaped by what's happening in Rome. And he's saying, don't be conformed by the world that is around you. It presses you in to a way of thinking. We are continually being pressed into a way of thinking that we're not aware of. How many people centuries from now will look back on our time and say, why in the world did they think that was okay? In the same way we look back on the 80s at that tall hair and think, why did we think that looked good? Or look back into the 1700s and 1800s and say, how in the world did we think slavery was okay? Paul is saying, hey, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, if you're going to respond to the mercies of God, then the first thing you have to do is recognize that we have to strip away what culture has formed us to be. And he says, we need to be transformed. Transformed. We need to have our form changed from what the world and the culture and the age we are living in has pressed us into being. We need to be changed. The word that Paul uses is a word that shows up rarely in the New Testament. 
If you're reading this word in the Gospels, the one time it's used is when Jesus is up on the mountaintop and he's suddenly transfigured before the disciples that are with him. He's changed from the normal human being that they saw every moment and suddenly he's so full of the glory of God of which he was. That he's so bright, his, even his clothes are bright. He's literally transfigured. He's changed in front of them. And they can see how different that he really is. Paul is saying, look, you need to not be conformed by the culture, but instead you need to be changed. You need to be transformed. And it's a transforming that's not on the outside. It's not putting on some kind of garment and saying, now I've got new clothes. It's being changed from very inside. It's from the very depths of who we are. It's the same word that we'll use for describing a caterpillar going into its chrysalis and being changed into the beautiful butterfly. It's a change from within. Paul is calling us to be living sacrifices, to give ourselves fully over to God, to give ourselves over in every way. And that means discarding and getting rid of and letting go of and finding those different ways in which the world and our culture has shaped us that we somehow thought was acceptable because we just never thought about it before. And instead, to be changed. But it obviously flows to the next question. But what dictates that change? That change from within. How, how do I grow and become different? And this is where that package is so tightly woven. Where the four different things are compressed in together. Paul says... Not only do you not be conformed, but be transformed. And how are you to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. In other words, I, he might have been the modern vernacular. Change the way you think. Change the way you see things and understand things. Change your perspective. It's a renewal of the mind. It's, um, it's kind of fun. I mean, I get the joy of looking at the Greek words and playing with them and all, but it's kind of like a, a new, new. Hence, we get the word renew. Um, but if you read it in Greek, it's like a, it's a double new, you know? It's like new atop a new. It, it's, it's where we get our word renew, but sometimes when we think of renew, we think of renew as kind of, uh, well, it's, it's renewed, but, you know, if you had a choice between something that's renewed and something that's new, you often choose the new, you know. Um, if, you, if you have a title on a car, right, the title to your car, you can, if a car gets in a really bad accident, gets totaled or something like that, you know, I'm kind of car shopping lately, um, you can get a thing called a rebuilt title. It's new. It's a new title. But it's had to be rebuilt because of what was. Some of us, you know, go in and have surgery and we get a new hip or a new knee. And, and, and you, you want to say it's all new again, right? It's all, but, you know, we'd still like the original knee, right? So when we hear renew, we often think of uh, new is better than renew. Renew is just another rework. No, no, no. Paul has in mind, this is a new that is better than the original new. Paul has in mind this idea that our mind, the way we think, the way we see the world, the way we understand things can be better than what was ever before. 
And it, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of Romans, where Paul is speaking about how all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, where Paul is speaking about how we can look out and see creation and see evidence of the creator, that all of us are at fault because we can see that there is a God, and yet, and yet because of our depraved minds and the ways we go after our selfish thoughts, that, our, our, that God just kind of lets us go and, and lets this, the depravity of this mind wear on us. But here in chapter 12, Paul circles back and says, now, but now God wants to change that. He wants to give us a mind that's no longer faulty and sees the world only from our own selfish desires, no matter how good we make ourselves, but rather give us a new mind, a new way of seeing the world, a way of seeing the world as God sees it. He wants a renewal of the mind. And sometimes that begins with just taking a different seat in where we see things. What would it be like if next Sunday you came in and you, everybody sat on the opposite side? Why don't we do that right now? Let's no, get up. No, I'm just kidding. Right? If you did that, you suddenly see, oh, wow. He looked better over there. Right? Or I'm not sure I'm used to that. Or you might even have a little pain in your neck because you're like, I'm not used to looking that way. You know, have you had this experience? Maybe you drive all the time. But you get in a car and somebody else is driving and you're a passenger and, and you're going through the same place you always drive, but suddenly you're seeing things you never saw before because now you have time to look around. You have time to see things. Paul wants us to have a renewed mind. That, that renewed mind, that new way of thinking, that new outlook has a way of changing us internally from what we were, the ways we were conformed in this world, the way we, we were just going along and swimming in the waters that were and breathing the air that was and helps us to suddenly see it differently and wonder, wait a minute. That comes from a different way of looking, a different outlook. But again, remember, this is all packaged into one package. It's shoved in four different things met together, working together. All of them intertwined. It's not just having a different way of thinking. It's not like you wake up this morning and say, I'm going to think differently today. How many of us have tried to do that? I'm going to do different today. I'm going to think different. But the moment crisis comes, or the moment struggle comes, we fall right back into our normal defaults, our normal way of thinking. Someone cuts you off on the lane and the aggravation just builds again. Nothing changed. Paul doesn't leave us just with, hey, I want you to think differently. No, that thinking differently, that change of mind, that renewal that he's calling for, comes from the third part. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. This is one of those parts that I referred to earlier 
where it, you know you and I can get into a debate of when something is no longer orange and now it's red, or when something is blue and now it's green. We all have a different time in which that shade changes. You've had that conversation with someone before, right? That's red. No, that's orange. That's green. No, that's blue. I remember my mom and dad, when they, they got a new home um, when I was in college, and, and their way of, of pacifying me to make me feel better now that I was no longer going to be in my room that I grew up in was that I was going to be allowed to paint my own room whatever color I wanted it. So I said as a typical boy, what color do you want? I want blue. So I showed up that day to paint the blue paint that my mom had gotten for me. And um, as I'm painting it, and Suzanne and I were dating, she was helping me too. We were painting the walls. And it's like, this is green. This isn't just a little green. This is green. I wanted blue. So I went down and talked to mom. Mom, I wanted blue. And she says, it is blue. It's green. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, but, you know, it went on as green, but it changes to blue. No, that's not the case. She came upstairs, walked me in front, and showed me the label on the can. And it had some kind of label that said something blue. But it was in the green scope. But it had blue in it. This part right now, testing that you may discern what is the will of God... The will of God here is two parts. It's seeing what God's will was and seeing what God's will is for us. And Paul is challenging us, and, and the translators have so much trouble understanding, finding a way to translate this. You'll see it different in every translation. This, by testing, discerning, what they're talking about is this, this exploring this trying out, experimenting. Or as what they said in the Old Testament, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul is inviting us to have a new outlook, a new way of seeing things by testing, by experimenting, by uh, challenging what is God's will and seeing how that affects us. Paul is challenging us to taste and see, to play with what is God's will. Here, he's actually pushing us back into the very first verse when he talked to us about appealing to us out of the mercies of God. He's trying to see us to say, hey, take a moment. Take a moment and, and meditate or think about what God's will is. If I were to challenge each of us right now to take five minutes, and I want you to just think about God's will, and you might say, well, I, I, how would I know what God's will is? No, think about God's will and what he's done. What does that tell you about God's will? That God gave his son for us. What does it tell us that God, in the midst of all of our messiness, in the midst of all of our brokenness, 
in the midst of the many ways in which we still are running from God, wanting to do what we want to do and not give that up because it means, you know, if I give that up to follow God, I got to give that up. So we're running from him. So in the midst of all of that, he still was willing to come, send his son, and sacrifice his son in our place. What does that tell us about God's will? That from the very beginning, as we go back through the scriptures, that at the very beginning, he's already coming in to rescue each and every time. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. They partake of the fruit they're not supposed to take of from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They take that fruit and there's punishment. The punishment was that they were going to die. But God kicks them out of the garden and he clothes them. He clothes them with animal skins, which means there was a sacrifice right there at the beginning. Even at the beginning, others are paying for what we've done. But God is entering in, clothing and covering us from the very beginning. The Israelites end up in Egypt, saving everyone through a famine, and then they end up there, and then they're suddenly in bondage over the years, and God delivers them out of that. The will of God. What does it say about the will of God that his will, his desire, is to rescue us? To save us from ourselves. To save ourselves from the sin that entangles us. That holds us fast. That there's nothing we can do to free ourselves from that muck. What does that say about God? So much of what we read of temple worship of the Greeks and the Romans, people would bring offerings to the gods and so that they would have a good harvest or so that they would be able to have children or they would, they would do everything they could to appease the gods so that they could get what they wanted. And, and, and what do we learn about the myths of all the ways the gods interact? They sound like a soap opera. This God that we're worshiping is so different. It's not about what the God gets and what we get from it. It's about what God is doing for us and how will we respond. That God loves each and every one of us so deeply that he gave his son. Paul says, I want you to test that. I want you to think on that. I want you to play with that. That God loves you so much that he gave his son for you. That much. And we're not even going to go into the brutality of what crucifixion was. How horrific it was. They didn't even have a word for it. Finally, they came up with a word that we have it even now. We use the word excruciate, excruciating, which means X out of cruciate, cross, out of the cross. It was suffering so great. He loves you so much. What does it say about God's will? That his love is so deep, so unending. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It cannot be taken away. God's mercy is beyond measure. 
Paul says, I want you to test that. I want you to play with that. Why don't you explore that? Don't just put that up on a shelf and think that is a, just a, a, a concept. No, play with that. And as you play with that, as you consider how much God loves you, and there was nothing you could do to deserve that love, that it came to you freely, that'll begin to change the way you think. That'll give each of us pause when someone else does us harm or does a harm or some kind of causes us pain to realize how much pain we've caused God and yet he freely did this for us. It starts to work on us inside. It starts to change us. Don't be conformed to the way the world works. Be transformed. And I want you to be transformed by your mind's changing and outlook. And that's going to happen if you start to look upon what God has truly done for you. And so that's the one part. That's, that's the, the green part. And moving into the blue part is the will of God. Not only what he's done for you, but what is the will of God now for you? If the psalmist is right in 139 that, that he made us from the very beginning, he knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb, if he knows every one of our days, they were written before they even began, if he knows all of that, what is his plan for us and how great must his plan be for us? If God gave his son for each one of us, how precious must each of us be? There's not a chance in the world that any one of us is a mistake or should never have been. No, God has worked through all sorts of sin and wrongdoings. I mean, we rejoiced over the battle of Jericho, and yet one of the people that saves the spies is a prostitute who later finds her way into the very line of the King David and therefore the line of Jesus. God works through all of that. So what is God's will for us? And that will begins to change the way we see the world and the way we think, and the way we act. His will for us. Okay, God, how am I now supposed to live? What do you want me to be now? And much of that will be answered in verse 3 and going forward. He'll start to set aside examples for us, like that little acorn that starts to burst forth. All this stuff packed into these two first verses starts to expand, and we start to see the growth and, and the many ways in which we can branch out. That will begin to develop. But that will for us he begins by giving us three kernels that he wraps tightly together. Another place where, where does orange end and red begin or green end and blue begin. Another place in which they're interwoven. This way in which he says, I want you to see what the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. And it'd be fun to preach on what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. But in many ways, I don't want to rob you from the fact that Paul is talking about three different observations of the same thing. We're looking at the same thing. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. 
coming from different angles. What he wants for us to be transformed. And how do we get transformed? By thinking about what is God's will. What does God want in this situation? I'm telling you, this changed the very world that we live in. Think about the movement. Jesus worked with a whole crowd of people that followed him, but he worked specifically with 12. And within that, 12, three. Discipling them over the course of three years. And those 12 go out and change the world. But Jesus doesn't end. He introduces Paul as well and keeps speaking to others. And that change begins to grow and blossom. And so what is that will? What is good and what is acceptable and perfect? That illusion of good is an illusion back to the first verse of what is holy, what's set apart, what's really good. We know things when they're good. And believe me here, the word good is the, the epitome of the word. You know, we have a way of saying things are good and then they're great and then they're excellent. You know, so good's kind of a medium category. No, here good is the top category. That we would be a, a living sacrifice that is good. It's holy. It's, it's set apart for God. The Christians were changing the world around them. I've shared with you before, the Romans had a way of discarding children that was barbaric. And yet, because it was in the culture in which everybody lived, it was the water which they breathed. As barbaric as it was, it just was. It's what happened. It just is. And those infants that were discarded were just discarded to die. And the Christians started going out and picking up those infants that were left to die and raising them as their own. They were changing the world. They started living out what they heard in Jesus in the Good Samaritan and, and stopping and, and actually helping someone they didn't know or even worse, someone who was contrary to who they were because the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. And not just doing a little bit, but bandaging up and taking home and, and even saying, hey, any other costs, I'll bear the costs. The Christians were changing the world. People were not running from Christians. They were running to them. Even as they were being battered and beaten, even as they were being discarded in society themselves, they were changing the world. Because they were good. And that word acceptable ties right back into the first Verse as well, when we talked last week about when you brought a sacrifice, you had to bring the perfect, the best. You couldn't just, because you were told to bring one out of ten or whatever, you couldn't just bring any old one. You brought the best, that which is truly acceptable. You know, when the Israelites later, you know, they were, when they finally were kicked out of the promised land and carried away by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, when they finally got to come back and rebuild their temple, they struggled. They had all sorts of issues. And, and God started to press on them again. And the image he gave, he said, look, the sacrifices you're bringing me are awful. 
You wouldn't even present that to your local governor. Why in the world do you think it's acceptable to me? God doesn't want just part of us. God wants all of us. That's what's acceptable. God wants every bit of who we are. And he'll begin cleaning us and making us into who he wants us to be. But he wants all of us, everything that we are, good and acceptable. And that last word, we know that word, perfect. But again, here is a time, again, where the English word fails to take in the full breadth of what the Greek reader was hearing. Perfect in this case is complete, full. It actually has to do with time. When, when the time is finally full and everything is done, you know, we'll keep doing this until we get it right. It has to do with that kind of concept. When it's finally completed and full and done, we're going to stay at this till we get it right. That's the concept here. Paul has made a tremendous shift with chapter 12. Everything before chapter 12 has talked about this idea that we are justified before God by Jesus Christ. That Jesus has made us right with God. That we are just, we are made right with God. After chapter 12 is everything about how we live forward. That we now are being sanctified. That we're being made holy. We're being set apart. We're being pushed to be more who God wants us to be. And that is a continual work. We don't arrive. We don't graduate. We continue at it. So Paul is saying, hey, don't be conformed by this world. Don't be pressed into the world, that, the mold that the world has. Instead, let your form be changed internally from the inside out. Let it be changed by God. Let your mind start to shift and think about how God's will has changed you. And let it begin to work in your daily life as well so that we might be good and acceptable and perfect not because we need to be accepted by God by those things, but rather that we become those things and become a blessing to others. And may God be praised in that renewal. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you know who you want us to be. And we certainly know your work in us is not done. May your spirit so move within us. May our wills let go that much more and give ourselves fully over to you that you may shape us into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may discern the will of God. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.